Welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man who's had a shit against a wall 50 yards from his own front door. It's Richard Herring! Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. I tell you, you missed uh, home. You missed uh, quite a warm-up. You're going to wish... I don't think there'll be any laughter left in this room after the blazing trail I did in the first half. Sometimes when you've done a great show, you want to thank every member of the audience individually. <laughs> Tonight that will be possible. But uh, welcome to Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre Podcast, or as all the cool kids are calling it, Le Hurlestaper. Sure, they're calling it Rehuspa. They've, they've, missed, they've missed out the T because they're not cool. Uh, but uh, it's, uh, it's a stupid weekly uh, chat show uh, podcast. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's doing very well. It's been at the top of the iTunes charts. It's been quite a week. Been an amazing weekend of football once again. York City won the the Blue Square Premier Playoff. That's what everyone's talking about. I tell you, it's been an amazing week to be... I've supported York City for 30 years. I was born near York. People, it's because I'm from Somerset, but I was born in Yorkshire. Um, Nothing has happened except loss in all that time. This week, we've won two tournaments at Wembley in eight days. I don't really know how to react. It's... uh, I'm feeling a bit bamboozled. I don't actually like it. I only support them because they're shit. And I don't like football. But now I've kind of got sucked into it. I was crying yesterday. It's kind of... It's kind of... It's, it's, it's character building. All those people who support Chelsea. Oh, yeah, is that you? You, need, you don't understand what's, why support teams that's always going to win. That they've paid loads of money and they're going to win. You want to support York City and then 30 years and then they suddenly win and it's fucking mind-blowing. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, they're going to be playing league football. I hope you will all follow them uh, next year. York City. Fuck yeah. So that was very, very exciting news for me. Um, and I, got, it got me, I had a dream about York the, the day before that I, that I was playing for York City, which has become my default dream now. I've never been good at sport, certainly playing football. Like my old dream used to be uh, doing my maths A-level again, even though I was in my 30s or 40s having to go back and sit in my maths A-level, sometimes doing like a, where I was doing a play and not been given the script. But now it's that I'm watching York City and then have to go on and play for them. And I'm seriously pretty good. But in my dream, we, we got 3-0 up in the first half, then we lost 4-3 in the second. So it's, you know, that's, it's, it's such a toss-up. But it reminded me of being at school... Uh, the, it's weird that I can still remember arguments from being when you're eight years old. I don't know if everyone can do this, but when, when, I, was, when I was ten at school at Fairlands Middle School in Cheddar, uh, I had a serious argument with the guy, another guy who was in my years, like a ten-year-old child, who said he, he was really good at football. He said if the Fairlands under ten side were to play Liverpool FC, the, who were the best team in the, in the country at that point, the adult team, that even they were played a hundred times, Fairlands would win one time out of a hundred. I said that wouldn't happen. I said, I said if Liverpool played a team of ten-year-olds and were told they had to try, you know, that they wouldn't... There was no way. If they, if they played, like, a million times, I think they would still win a million times. This is... I'm presuming it's still the same team. The squad is changing. I don't, firstly, I don't, I'm not sure Liverpool would go for the, even playing them once. I think it'd be a waste... 
if, if Liverpool were saying, right, we're going to play this team a million times, well, won't that impinge on our actual <laughs> professional fixtures? Doesn't matter, we're going to do it. I think if they played a billion times, maybe one time they'd get hit by an asteroid or something. <laughs> And the Fairlands Middle School win. But I remember this song, what were you saying? Over there, chipping in, chipping in, what? Squillion. Squillion times, yeah, well, thanks. I wasn't sure where we went after a billion, but thank God. Thank God you were here to, um, if it was a squillion times, Fairlands would win, I think. Just because it isn't, that isn't a number. Uh, <laughs> but of course, if you played a billion times, also, you'll get to a point where the Liverpool side were quite old. Uh, and they'd be kind of in their 90s and they might be dead uh, and their parents might be able to beat them but I remember that argument so I was right I think I was definitely right and this guy wouldn't I can't remember who it was but I hope he's listening because but I had another I had another argument when I was 10 with my friend Phil Fry who's still my, one of my best friends now uh, when we were 10 years he was quite skinny and I was a little bit chubby I know, I'm, you know, it's hard to believe. Uh, I've slimmed down a lot since then. And, uh, look like that. Uh, and uh, he said if there was a famine or we were, we were on like a desert island or something, that he would last longer than me. I said I would, I would last longer because I had the reserves of fat to keep me going. And he said he would last longer because he was thin. He would get by without so much food. I would need food. I think he was wrong about that, but... I'm still not sure. <laughs> At the time, I wasn't sure if he was right, but I'm still not sure. But it's good that... I don't know if anyone else has those, where they keep them going. I might ask uh, Charlie if he's got any of those uh, to keep him going. Uh, and the big news this week uh, was uh, uh, Derek Akora, or Akora, has uh, got into trouble because... And this interests me because he said um, that he's been speaking to someone from the spirit world, not Madeline McCann herself. She's kept tight-lipped. Uh, he, uh, he is... What, you're making up your own jokes? He says, there's no joke in there, there's nothing disgusting in there. She's kind of quiet. Uh, he's, uh, he, the, the source from the other side said, Madden McCann is not on this earth anymore. Right? And people are upset about that because they think it's sick that Derek Okora... Uh, is claiming, is making this claim. Hey, I mean, it's kind of an odd thing to do if you have that channel to the other world uh, and you find out that a child's dead. Probably the most sensitive way to let the parents know isn't to announce in a national newspaper. If I, if I had that, I probably would ring them and go, I've got some bad news for you. It's kind of an oddly worded thing. That's why I don't get about it. It's that Madeline McCann is not on this earth anymore. And if she was dead, you could just say, she's dead. Seems, and that's what he's, he's interpreted as, but it seems to me that Madame McCann has been abducted by aliens. That is the, why would you say, why would the spirit talk in this kind of odd, she's not on this earth anymore? She, she must be, so that's, uh, that's, uh, that, that's kind of, but it, people got very cross with it, but that's what his job is. His job is to be, get, say horrible things to, to emotionally vulnerable people. So it's kind of, it's kind of odd that people have got upset about it. Oh no, now that's gone too far. Now he's talked about a famous possibly dead person now we can't we can't have that anymore but we, you know if you can speak to the dead which you can I, I talk to the dead all the time the thing is they don't talk back to me they just stay silent when I'm talking to them but uh, you can you know if you could you could find out some amazing things all these people do these mediums is to find out things that you already know and the first letters of the names of people you know I already know the first letters of the names of the people who if I had a channel to the other world, and look, they can say a whole sentence is not on this earth anymore. That's at least 17 letters, there's three or four words. You could get some good information from them, even if it's 
Even if it's a bit jarring, even if you have to kind of do charades every now and again, you could fight. My first question, which religion is correct? That's, that's the first thing. What, what kind of heaven are you in? Is it, which is, have a look, what, who is God? Let me know who I am. That's the first thing you ask, right? And uh, secondly, you know, where is some pirate treasure hidden? No, can, that'd be second. I would, I'd want to know some property. The fact they can only tell you things you already know, that makes, even if it's possible to do it, it makes their service useless. So I don't, he's, he's obviously a twat anyway, but uh, it's not the point. So anyway, but, uh, and uh, Mark Zuckerberg, is that his name? Uh, Zuckerberg, anyway, from uh, off of the Facebook. I call it the Facebook, so I think that was a better name for it. I think, uh, I think that bloke from NSYNC was wrong about it. <laughs> I take it off. I think that was a mistake. I think it would be worth about 500 billion if it was the Facebook. Facebook. Anyway, he's worth. He's lost 1.8 billion pounds today. Yeah, he's only got like um, 20. I don't know how many is it. It's 100 billion, wasn't it? He's, he was worth. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I think that's too much money. 100 billion. I think if you've made 100 billion pounds or dollars. Probably time to retire, I would say. It's worth, there's a point where you go, that's pro- I think that'll probably see me through. I'll just cash these. <laughs> I'll cash these in now. What are you waiting for? I'm just another hundred billion, then I'll just be secure. It's not like he spends any money on clothes or anything. It's not, he hasn't even seen them. He's not, he's got no interest. He's got married as well, so copying me. Uh, but I'm kind of hoping, you know, I've, I've started a kind of free, because he did it all for free to begin with. It's the same, I'm a very astute businessman. Like uh, Mark, is it Mark Zuckerberg? Is his name Mark? I want to call him Mark. Yeah, it's good. Um, Alan Zuckerberg. Yeah, good. A little cross-reference. You know, we're having fun, aren't we? We're having fun then. We're, we're having fun. People at home don't like it. Why would I like to say that? It's stupid. <laughs> But uh, anyway, I'm hoping that this, if you all want to buy shares now, sell your shares at £38 a share, just the people in this room, I'll take that. Uh, to, to be honest, if you if you the 100 people in here will give me £38 each, I'll just quit now and retire with that. I reckon I could live off that. That's quite a lot. We've got an economics uh, postgraduate and a neo-graduate. Graduand, I think you are. No, you haven't, you're not even a graduand. I'm a graduand. Uh, Sarah here in the front row, bit of a busybody, know-it-all. She's waiting for her degrees to come through in economics. What's 38 times 100? 380. 380? I'm not not so sure the confidence in the degree is justified. You don't do maths. I think that might be a problem with your economics degree there. Is it more like describing... What, do you, what does economics mean in the David Copperfields? Is that, what you, is that what you were doing? Describe the economy of the old curiosity shop. Um, well, that's good, Don. It's nice to... Any luck in the interval, Mark, Alan and Sarah? Uh, Joy, in fact? No? May. May. I can't be expected to remember everything. Uh, it's my wife's middle name, Joy. That's why I kind of got, that's why I got into it. Got into that, I sort of just started imagining you were my wife. You know, within the bounds... It's all I'm allowed to do now, but within the bounds of this podcast, actually, I've made an arrangement with my wife that, admittedly, she only heard back when I mentioned it last week. I don't think she ever listened to it at the end of the Fringe podcast. I've imagined an arrangement with my wife where I'm allowed to have sex with whoever I want during the podcast, during the actual recording. So if you fancy hopping up, uh, we can give that go, and that is all right. And then I will still remain married. But I'm married now, so aside from that, May, uh, May, Joy, May, May. May, who was born in January. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, apparently that makes me racist. So, um... <laughs> but anyway, look, I think we'll probably get on with stuff. I think, again, I've once again whipped everyone up. Into, uh... Will you please welcome? I'm very uh, proud to have uh, this guest. He's a, uh, he's a Chortle Internet Comedy nominee. <laughs> uh, which uh, I, I won it. I won the. I won it. Uh, and uh, amazing, he's a Renaissance man. Got, there's a lot of things to talk about. Will you please welcome the incredible Charlie Hickson, ladies and gentlemen? Here he comes. He's both here. Are you drinking? Are you drinking Foster's beer? There? Is that? Are you allowed to drink? Funnily enough, I do actually like Foster's beer. I do like quite a little bit because it's not too strong. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Well, because, yeah. You see, I grew up. I'm quite old. In the days when beer wasn't very strong, and you you would you would you would know how many pints of beer you could drink of an evening. Yes. I, you know, I don't want I don't want to get absolutely smashed out of my head. I enjoy drinking beer, and with lager nowadays. It's too strong. Right. This isn't a great advert for Foster's. I'm not sure they'll be delighted. <laughs> the great thing about Foster's is it's weak as piss. You can drink When Foster's first came over here, yeah. it was probably the strongest lager you could get. Mm. And I've stuck with it in the middle there. And the rest of the lager's gone way over the top. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so well, let's talk about, uh, about your short uh, losing podcast. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I wondered who'd won that. <laughs> no one else but me. I've won it two well, years running. Ch- I'm like the York City of the internet. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was it you won it for? Um, for, well, this year, just for just generally being brilliant on the internet. <laughs> Last year, better than everything else on the internet, including the Facebook. Uh, and, uh, and last year for As It Occurs To Me, but you weren't up again. But I beat the Fosters, uh, the, uh, surprisingly. I, mean, I wasn't surprised about the fast show, but Alan, beating Alan Partridge was a surprise. No, I mean, the only consolation <laughs> for, for... The only consolation for me in it is that um, Fosters paid us... Huge amounts of money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm, not, I'm not. I'm playing the long game. I'm doing. Yeah. I'm doing the most. Come back in twenty years' time. I'll be worth a hundred billion dollars. This this one. I'll be sitting here on a bed of a hundred billion dollars. I'll have changed every seat. Would just be made out of dollars. The stage would be made. Out. I won't be able to spend. What would you do if you had a hundred billion? I mean, you maybe you have. You are quite successful. Could you, well, not could, quite you spend could you spend a hundred billion dollars? The problem is, no matter how much money you've got, you always want more. There's always going to be someone you move up billion. into an heap. You see, Mark Zuckerberg now is probably mixing with all these Bill Gates. I think, oh, I wish I had as much money as Bill. <laughs> he can buy a whole country. <laughs> what would you do with it? What would you do? What, with a country? Yeah. Would you ruin it? Have a laugh, laugh, wouldn't you? Buy <laughs> <laughs> a country. Do it like. <laughs> would you make your own laws? Yeah. Get, uh, which, which laws would you abolish? <laughs> well, I, I hadn't really thought it through that. I should have just come up now. <laughs> well, you, seem, you seem very excited. That's all when, when it came up. I thought, there's a man who's got this planned out. He thought, when I'm making my first well, I would, I would, I would, um, I'll get them to make a cheese and name it after me. <laughs> probably, someone would probably, probably do that. Ambition. I could probably make that happen for this podcast. I could probably get someone to name uh, a cheese, the oh, Charlie Hicks and cheese. Really, yeah. I know a lot of people in cheddar for a start. So <laughs> <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want an already existing cheese just renamed. Well, well I'm not going to rename cheddar Charlie Hicks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, that's not going to happen. Well, if you are, I'm 
change Charlie Hickson. Well, you know, if you owned England, you yeah. could do that. You can change cheddar to, to be Charlie Hickson. If, if there are any cheesemakers out there listening, let's just check there's no one in. I mean, there's quite a lot of people here. There probably is someone. In <laughs> Not, I mean, if you don't mind, if you actually can have cheese, just someone involved. Anyone involved in dairy products generally? So, but that's, that surprises me. But hopefully, someone. Uh, there may be someone. I mean, if anyone wants to name a cheese, Charlie Hickson cheese. And then maybe a Richard Herring cheese, and maybe we can have an yeah. award for the best of the those best cheese. <laughs> the best cheese named after 1990s yeah. uh, TV. You could, you, could, you, could, you could win for a cheese that, you know, uh, connoisseurs like, but nobody buys much. And I could win for <laughs> a big mass market cheese that loads of people buy, like cheddar. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's sad, it's sad. Though. I'm happy with that. So you were actually, you are born in Somerset. Did you grow up in Somerset? Uh, no, I, I remember nothing of it. Ah, uh, I was born there, and my father moved around a lot for, for his work. <laughs> Sorry, I was going to say something. It's not, not a great I was going to say something awful, and then I thought, I bet you're not Andrew Collins, so I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't go there. What did your dad do? He was a serial killer. Yeah. <laughs> that's what, that's what he was worse than Well, that. he was an accountant. He was an accountant. A travelling accountant. Look, it's not an interesting <laughs> anecdote. Why does he, why was he moving? Well, because he would, get, he would get attached to a company, he'd yeah. have to go and work for them, and then he'd get attached to another company and go work for them. Would he know what 380 times, uh, <laughs> times 100 was? Yeah, 3,800. Yeah, he's good. He just passed it down. There is nothing funny to say about it, but I mean, I must warn you before we proceed too far. Yeah. That I am a notoriously boring interviewee. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was expecting cheese to come up <laughs> so soon. <laughs> cheese will probably come up somewhere, but no, not straight uh, away. Jo- Jonathan, Jonathan Ross did once, actually, and this is absolutely true, he fell asleep whilst interviewing me. <laughs> it's a true story. He was making, he, was, he did this programme, it was a kind of entertainment programme for in flight TV, I think it was for Virgin or something like that. And they did all these pre-recorded interviews, and it was a kind of entertainment show, and he was interviewing me about what I did. And it was done in... You know when you watch all those list programmes? Yeah. And you see people being interviewed, you think, well, they've got a nice house, or... I wonder where that is. It's all filmed in, like, hotels and clubs and restaurants around London. Yeah. And this was in the basement of this sort of fancy Turkish restaurant. It was quite a warm day. He'd been there a long time, and he, he apologised before we started. He said, oh, I'm sorry, child, a bit hungover. So I hold my last night. And we started talking, and I've got this habit in interviews where I stupidly answer the question that's asked. Yeah. Which, and you know the interviews actually just, you're trying to prompt someone to just say something funny and do impressions or something. So I would give long, involved answers. And we were halfway through this interview, he'd asked me this question, and, and I was giving this long, involved answer, and I looked over at him, and he was doing this kind of comedy falling asleep face. <laughs> you know, he was, he was all drooped down like this, his mouth hanging open. And I said, oh... Yes, oh, oh, very funny, Johnny. Yes, it was a slightly long anecdote. And then I realised he had actually fallen asleep. He was fast asleep in the chair. And then he woke up, I was, oh, God, so I was really sorry, Charlie. And I don't know who that, who that reflects worse on, him or me. Me, probably. <laughs> he was tired, a little bit tired, so we'll see, we'll see, how, we'll see how it goes. He told me when he was interviewing uh, Barbara Windsor that he was so bored that he actually couldn't give another question. And he had to pretend he'd lost his uh, contact lens. That was the only one So you did quite, I think that's better, to fall asleep is better. Well, it was, it that was might be just his way of getting out, I can't think of another I'm going to try that. If I can't think of another question for you, I'm going to try for all But, I mean, it, he did look like he, as I say, he was doing a sort of comedy. It was <laughs> such an exaggerated sleep face he had. 
Uh, no, it was, it was really... So you don't remember anything about, you don't remember anything about Froome, where Froome. you were born? Well, no, I mean, funnily enough, uh, one of my brothers now lives there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I said funnily enough, because it wasn't funny, was it? I mainly, I mainly grew up in uh, Sussex and Kent, uh, funnily yeah. enough. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing funny about my childhood. I had a very, very ordinary, boring childhood. You wanted, you had four, four, Thank God. three brothers, is that right? You had three brothers? You're not going to get a funny anecdote about that. <laughs> I'm yes. expecting yes, I've got three brothers. You're the third of four. Three, of, three out of four. Yes. How's that being the second last child? <laughs> Is that why you became a comedian? Everyone's got theories about the, you know, the, the first, second... I've not had four kids, it's quite a lot though, isn't it? And four boys. Four boys, yes. Were you kind of bullied by, the, by your older brothers? No. Which one lives in the room, the older or the younger one? Number two. Number two. <laughs> Typical number two child going back. Was he born in Froome? He thought, I better return to like no, a spawning trap. <laughs> I'm going to have children. I don't know where he was born because my father moved around a lot. I obviously wasn't there. <laughs> I wasn't even born. How would I know where he was born? <laughs> Why are we talking about I this? Know where my, brothers. my dad moved around a lot as well. Yeah. Keith you know where all your brothers were born. My brother was born oh, in, uh, in Halifax. Right. My sister was born. Somewhere. <laughs> um, I don't know where my sister was born. Wow, that's, that's blown my mind. <laughs> Maybe she wasn't born. Maybe she kind of was hatched out of a pod. Why would I know where my brother was from and not my sister? It's like my parents. Maybe she's adopted. Wow, God, I hope she is. I hope, my, I hope my nephews and nieces are listening to this, and that's the first. Won't be the first revelation I've accidentally given them uh, about my sister. <laughs> Assuming they knew it already. Ooh, uh, good. Uh, so, no, no, I was going to have a kind of Somerset off with you, because actually I wasn't born in Somerset. I was born in Yorkshire, hence that was born in York City. And then my child, yeah. serial killing rapist father, moved to <laughs> working, working in different schools, moved down the country to Leicestershire and then to the Cheddar, funnily enough. To Cheddar? Yeah. <laughs> No, I can't. I've not, nothing to say about it. I mean, I like Somerset. It's a very yeah. nice, nice country. And I think, you know, West, West Country people are unfairly maligned. They're no more stupid than anyone else. <laughs> That's true. A bit more stupid. <laughs> so there's loads of stuff to talk about because you have done millions of thousands of things in your life. You've done squillions of things. I think would be the, the best way of looking at this. And uh, I was looking at your... And I, and I do vaguely remember the, the Hicksons from the, back in the 1980s. But I've been, I've been revisiting... You're you're a you're a proper you're a proper rock pop star rock star. I was punk. a pop singer, yes. Sort of, you're a punk sort of. Well, it was head. punk funk we did. Yeah. It was a sort of uh, forgotten movement of the early eighties. <laughs> uh, well, Pigbag are probably the best known yes. proponents. They had a hit. Someone someone uh, Alid um, T Alan Thomas ninety nine from Twitter asked yes. someone who stole my copy of Conspiracy. Uh, do you have any spare ones under your bed? Is what he asked. I, do, I, I think I've only got the one copy. Have you? But you can, uh, I think you can download it now. Ah, oh, that's, no, that's not as much fun. It's not much fun. Did you ever find out you stole your bongos? No, we see, it was a lyric from the song. It, it wasn't was. real. <laughs> I assumed you had written it from life. No, no, you see, that, what people don't understand is that most song lyrics are just made up stuff. <laughs> and they're not all real. Okay. So, you know, I had a song where what, the chorus was, Who Stole My Bongos? 
It's a good song. Yeah. Have a listen. Seriously, let's try and get back to number one. I can do that for you. <laughs> only because only you don't really have to sell many records to get to number one now. Everyone at home, go and buy uh, Conspiracy if it's there on iTunes. Our, our highest uh, chart position was 72. Was it? Yeah. With a cover version of an Andy Williams song, Music to Watch Girls. Yes, I heard that. I was listening to that one today. I but, you know, we still record. sold more records than the current number one. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was a fantastic thing to do. I mean, you know, I did it straight out of university and I was, uh, I was a singer for six years. And that's how I made my living, by singing. But that's incredible. Now, you're a proper rock star. And you were called Switch. I was called Switch. Did you actually, like, was it like Bono and you insisted? Was it like the egg? No, what happened was, um, as I was saying, I had a fairly normal, boring childhood. Uh, um, uh, and I was at school, my main schooling was in Sevenoaks in Kent, commuted country, and I was off to university and I thought, I want to become a more interesting and exciting person. <laughs> so I made up a nickname for myself and bleached my hair and I turned up at university dressed as a punk, a student <laughs> punk from Sevenoaks, and um, people would say, oh, hello, you know, what's your name? And I'd say, switch. <laughs> Expect them to say, no, you fucking not. <laughs> You're Charlie Hickson. I said, no, I'm Switch. And, and nobody, nobody batted us up my eyelids. Go, oh, right. Oh, hello, Switch. <laughs> and everybody called me Switch. It's brilliant. It's fantastic. You can go to university. You can completely reinvent yourself and make yourself up as a new person. So I became Switch, the punk singer. But if you've been, like, a massively popular star, that would have been your name for the rest I still of your still, life. Funny, funnily enough, I've got to stop saying that and then having a very dull anecdote. <laughs> uh, my wife still calls me Switch. She when she's angry. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, um, but no, I, the, the people just called me Switch for years until, um, they're funnily enough, my family, <laughs> my family called me Murray. Okay. When I was growing up, I was called Murray. <laughs> so why, is your middle name? No. No? Yes, it is. Oh, it is. But my... my, my <laughs> My father, being an accountant, he he ordered, he, he wanted us properly organised. So yeah, it'd be in alphabetical order. Yes. My eldest brother, my eldest brother's called Andrew. My second brother's Barney. Yeah. I was Charles, and right. then Daniel was the fourth one. So we were in alphabetical order. So he couldn't get us muddled up. He was hoping for for more kids, wasn't he? He was going. Kind of, well, yeah. He had it all planned out. Edward, Fred, George, <laughs> Harry—they were all, all lined up. But you know, that way he couldn't get confused. He could always keep us organised. But. He didn't actually. <laughs> he didn't actually like the name Charles, so he called me Murray. Couldn't he have which was a second name? See, <laughs> why did he name you? And I got no idea. Murray. But they all called me Murray. So yeah, then I went to university and called myself Switch. That's cool. And then uh, over the years, the, the guys in the band, because every all musicians in a band automatically hate the singer. They all think that cunt up the front <laughs> from poncing about I should be there in that position doing that I should be the famous and when they come and do interviews they always want to talk to the singer yes, of course. I mean I was the most interesting one in the band but, um, but no and so and so when they found out that and my it was called the Hickson's that must have fucking well, annoyed them that wasn't <laughs> my was it, idea was it all your brothers the rest that was their idea for a joke to put on the, the poster for right. the first gig we had to be called something so um, the Jackson Five were Reasonably popular band. Right. So for the first person, we were called the Higson Five. And then it was going to change, and we were going to be the Jimmy Higson Experience for the next gig. But we, we ended up just being called the Higsons, which was probably the most boring name of a band ever. <laughs> now, except we were then pipped to the post by the Bloody Smiths. That's true. Someone told me that they were, they'd met um, The Edge 
from you too. Uh, right. So it gets embarrassing if you were like in your fifties and still called your student nickname, I know. and they got to him, and, and this girl was in. I don't think he, I don't know if he had his hat on at the time. Uh, the girl said, uh, "Who's this?" And he said, "It's the Edge." And she said, "What?" He said, "It's the Edge." What? What? <laughs> she, couldn't, she couldn't hear his name. And he went, Dave. <laughs> Which I think is brilliant. I think that knocks the whole of the, the YouTube. And then, of course, uh, Bono has made uh, about one, one and a half billion himself from having shares in Facebook. Has he? Like, yeah, he's, he, he bought like. Oh, uh, I'm pleased for him. He'll probably give it to uh, the third world, I imagine. Yeah. Or, or he'll just have his hats flown around in, in planes. One of the two. That's what he mainly spends his money on. He had the story about uh, Bono, which I, I hope is true, is that he forgot his hat uh, for one of his concerts and had it flown in a private jet to the concert. <laughs> which is that's why he's a big famous. <laughs> pop star yeah. and I'm not yeah. because to be a pop star and to you have to believe that you are God yeah. because the audiences don't want to turn up and say oh look there's Charlie Higson they want to turn up and say look it's Bolo <laughs> or Switch I mean it never quite worked with Switch they want to see this godlike figure who's there on stage and you want to adore this person and, and as a pop star you've got to do that and you've got to be unselfconscious about it you have to utterly believe that you are the most fantastic thing in the world and I couldn't do that. Oh, I think you. I saw there was a there's a there's a clip of you uh, live gig on YouTube. I saw. Well, we were entertaining up to you can take it up to a level when you're still playing, you know, clubs and you know the Lyceum and uh, you know the, the, that kind of level of things where you've still got that connection with the audience. Yeah. That's fine. You can be self-deprecating and have a laugh and we like like your your warm up tonight. <laughs> <laughs> You can individually say hello to all the members of the audience. <laughs> <laughs> but you couldn't do that if you were playing to a million people. Well, I could. Uh, uh, 10,000 people, should we I was say. playing the Hammers of Apollo last night, I'll have you know, for eight minutes. It's exactly the same with a comedian. You've got to go out there and go, bang, look at me. This is what you've come to see. I'm going to be really funny. I'm going to sing amazingly. And the audience want that. And any kind of crack in the armour... And it doesn't work. No. So you had to give... You, you kind of... Did, it, did you give that up? I, I, knew, I knew that I, I wasn't going to do it forever. That It wasn't for me. I, we had a fantastic time. It was a great thing to do as a young person, to be with a bunch of mates, to travel around. Yeah. We went all around the world. We had three American tours. Um, and we did what we wanted. We had a fantastic laugh, and you get free beer and sandwiches. <laughs> um, but you make no money at it. Everybody says these days, oh, in the music business, you can't make any money anymore. It was only a tiny, tiny percentage of people at the top who ever made that money. Yeah. Most people in the music business make nothing. In fact, most people in the music business end up owing money. Yeah. Because you get flown around in jets, you get flown around the world to make these amazing videos, and then you realise that you, you're paying for it all. Yeah, and you've got your hat and in a different plane. Yeah. <laughs> Why did I do that? Why did I finally just take the hat with me? Yeah. Why didn't I could have had it? And, you know, a friend who was in quite a big band, and the band broke up, and that was the end of the thing, and he said, well, I've got to move on and become solo, and the radio, and the record company said, well, you owe us a million quid. Right. <laughs> That's the music business. <laughs> but no, I knew I didn't want to do it forever. I, I, I loved doing it, but I'd reached a point where I thought, we're not going to get any bigger, and I, don't, I can't see myself doing this at 52 no, uh, it's probably well. You I mean you've, you've kind of gone and uh, diversified and done all sorts of things. And you, you were at the University of East Anglia, not 
the Thames Valley Polytechnic. <laughs> no, it was uh, a real university. Yeah, real which and there's a lot of comedians have come out there. Arthur Smith, my wife. That's two, that's, that's two, so that's, that's, that's <laughs> queer, isn't it? <laughs> Paul Whitehouse. Was Paul Whitehouse, yes. You? So, yes, yes. so you met there and and so this this story I've heard a few times that you you got into comedy via plastering Stephen Fry's house. Is yeah, that, well, would that be true or is that... A, not a, well, no, that, 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 that did happen. Um, yeah, I mean, I met Paul at university and through two other friends I met Vic Reeves and Harry Enfield. They weren't at that university, but they had friends at university. Yeah. So, you know, as with everything else, it's who you know. Um, but I had no idea that I would end up doing comedy. Back then, this was being the sort of 70s, if you wanted to get on stage and entertain your mates, you formed a band. Mm-hmm. As you got into the 80s and alternative comedy, then going into comedy became an option. Unless you were at Oxford or Cambridge, you could go into Footlights. But uh, the idea at university that you might become a comedian yeah. was just was, was way off. Um, so, yeah, it was an important group. And then the bass player and myself, we started doing some decorating when we weren't on the road, just to make a bit of money, just so we could buy food and clothes and things. <laughs> and we, we reached a point where we thought, actually, if we just stuck with the decorating and not the band on the head, we could make a good living because, you know, there's a lot of houses in London and they all need decorating. So that was the end of the band and we started a very successful decorating uh, business. And um, Paul, in the meantime, had worked at Hackney Council and then became a plasterer. He was doing working in the same line of business, so we did a lot of jobs together. And Harry Enfield, we were all sort of living in the same squat in Hackney, and Harry was doing bits of comedy. He got to know Stephen and Hugh, who'd bought themselves this big house together in Dalston. That's sweet. That's very sweet. <laughs> they, bought, they bought a house together. Well, they did. Because, you know, they didn't quite have enough to buy their own houses. Right. And they needed some decorating. And Harry said, well, you know, Charlie and Paul do decorating. So we went in and we started decorating. We must have been for them the kind of decorators from hell because we knew they were on the telly and we thought we were quite funny so we would, we would sort of do funny voices and perform funny skits as we were painting the wall in the hope that they'd say oh my goodness you're extremely funny you too. why don't you come on the television and do some comedy uh, but no they wanted the house decorated so <laughs> we carried on decorating um, <laughs> by the time we'd finished because it was a big house there was a lot of work to do Stephen had become enormously wealthy from Rewriting the lyrics to Me and My Girl. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Taking out all the references to Nignog. <laughs> but it was. It was an extremely racist musical. So they got him in to rewrite it and he made a fortune out of it. And so he could go and buy his own house. Mm-hmm. And he went off and bought his house. And by that time, uh, Paul and I had started writing for Harry. And we made enough money, we bought the house off him. Right. So you plastered it yourself, and then you regretted doing a bad well, job. Well, at least we know we did a very good job. <laughs> at least we knew the decorating was good. <laughs> Can you still do plastering now? Because I'm having my house done up at the moment. It's quite expensive. Do like, you want to do well, another Paul, convenience Paul house? still do plastering. Yeah, 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 yeah. I might get him over. What's he doing his rates stuff? Uh, well, I don't want him doing, like, funny characters and stuff. Well, no, I wouldn't no. get him in there. No. So, but you also, did you come up with the idea of loads of money, which was the big, was, it, was that you and Paul that came up with it? Well, uh, yeah, well, sort of. Um, uh, Paul came up with the, the Stavros voice, because Paul works uh, with a guy at Hackney Council who was a great mimic, and he used to, he used to do a, a sort of London Cockney, Turkish, stroke Greek accent, which Paul started doing, and then Harry started copying Paul and said, oh, can I make this into a character? Right. And um, they did it on Saturday Live. And Harry got me and Paul into 
help him write it. What about the guy who did the voice originally? Well, he was he well, he's still, he's, he, 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 I think he still is working. Does there. he stay there? Yeah. No, I'll stay he, does, he doesn't want the, the showbiz no. lifestyle. <laughs> or any of the money from the adverts and stuff that Stavros does. No, he doesn't want any of that. Want any of that. <laughs> but actually, he's also... The, uh, he, he, he did quite a lot of voices. In fact, the Ron Manager voice was one of his. Was well. his? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and also, uh, also, the guy that's, that suit you, sir. But uh, he was a real bloke. He actually worked at Hackney Council. Right. Guy. And when Paul, Paul would go in the morning, he'd say, Good morning, sir. <laughs> How are you today, sir? You were out with a lady last night, so did you want to say good suit you? Nicked it entirely off this guy and at the council. He's dead, so he won't get him there. <laughs> but no, Paul was always very good to his to his chum at the council and we did used to give him some money off, no. off the back of the first show. But uh, but back to loads of money. Oh gosh. Have you been watching those Parkinson interviews? <laughs> no. Oh, they're great. I'm like, are you saying I'm... I'm, I'm no, no, I'm it's just... You're saying that because I'm as good at Parkinson's no, no, interviews. No, no, no. Have you got so just... good at interviewing because you've been they're watching great, Parkinson's? Because everybody on there, they'd all come on completely pissed yeah. and smoking their yes. heads off. Fantastic. Richard Burton got through about 12 packets of cigarettes. <laughs> and there's always Peter Cox, loads of Peter Cox. <laughs> And about <laughs> and I, you know, I was quite jealous. I wanted to come on tonight and smoke. Yeah, like that, but I don't smoke. It would have been awful. And we've been shut down because it's illegal for us to do that now. Yeah, so. I could have got one of those toy. Yeah, as a child. No, loads of money. Well, uh, but we, we, so we, we're doing this stuff with with um, Harry, uh, but also when we were working on jobs together, Paul and I, we would pretend to be working class. <laughs> As, as an act, and we'd, we'd pretend to be builders. We were living in Hackney, we knew quite a lot of guys like this. And that was one of the funny voices we would, we would do around at uh, Stephen Hughes. <laughs> and Harry, meanwhile, was also trying to develop a character along these lines. And we sort of put our ideas together with his idea. Because he'd been, he'd been uh, no, in fact, it was a Geordie friend of ours, had been on a cross-channel ferry, and they got caught up with a load of Chelsea fans. Right. <laughs> who were all on the ferry with them and these Geordie guys had no money at all and all the Chelsea fans had these big wads of cash <laughs> and they were taunting the Geordie fans going, look at that, hey, you've not seen that before have you, loads of money <laughs> and that's where it came from right. and Harry heard that and he thought well, yeah. and we thought well that's a nice little line you could use to set the character up but Harry, you know, he's very focused and he works out what's going to work he said no, that's the whole character he's going to come on and he's just going to do that Right. And it worked, you know, you just keep repeating it and repeating it. But the amazing thing about Loads of Money is the entire kind of screen time that he was on was probably only about 20 minutes. So it was Saturday Live? It was Saturday Live. It went out live. Uh, He would do three or four minutes a week, and it was over two series. Right. And that was it, but it became this massive character because it sort of of got became a sort of figurehead, a representative of the Thatcher Society. And she even said in Parliament... We've been accused of being a loads of money society. Wow. What's wrong with that? <laughs> and in fact, I was uh, I was in a um, a uh, sauna, <laughs> not with Margaret Thatcher. On, uh, we were doing the fast show, the first fast show tour we did. No, in fact, not the fast show. It was a Harry Enfield tour. On the back of that, we were on tour, and he was doing the characters, and we, I was in the sauna with some businessmen. And uh, <laughs> I wish it was a funnier anecdote. And it had a, that just had to be where we were. And this guy said to me, he was a businessman, he said, Well, you know, what are you doing? I said, We're doing a tour with Harry Enfield. He didn't know who Harry Enfield was, he didn't know what Saturday Live was. 
I said, you know, loads of money. And he said, oh, I thought that was something that Margaret Thatcher came up with. <laughs> <laughs> but but she'd been on that ferry. If only uh, she'd been there, no. history could have been very but, different. Yeah, we, you know, it's good to know that one of your catchphrases is in the, uh, the parliamentary records. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Don't think any of ours are. If, uh, Neil Kinnock did ask for the moon on a stick once. <laughs> uh, but, uh, <laughs> there we go. But, um, so do you, do you still, are you still friendly with Harry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How was it? What was it like creating a character that then something you were doing that character and someone took it off and did it and did it well, I mean, in your uh, mind? I mean, you know, I was a decorator at the time. Yeah, it was just a laugh. You know, I mean, the great thing about Saturday Live was it was live, and you know, there were, there's a huge rigmarole around most TV. It takes months to make, and it's long and quite occasionally quite a tedious process. This was great. We'd knock about in a week, come up with some funny lines, and Paul and I would go down to the studio on, on the Friday night, get pissed, sit in the audience, and just see if any of our lines made it into the final <laughs> show. But, but because it was live, you could then react to how that was being picked up during the week, and the tabloids got onto it, and the sun started using it, you know, is this the real loads of money? And you could reflect all that in the next week and, and, yeah. and pay off. So it, you got this huge sort of snowball thing going. And on the back of that... You know, Paul and I were sort of accepted as established comedy writers. Mm. Yeah, of course, cool. but then it did turn into sort of a monster, and the the people it was mocking, sort of, I suppose, with Margaret Thatcher being the main example, but that those kind of guys did start doing it. It's that kind of Al Murray pub landlord kind of. Well, that always happens, and you can't, you know, you can't get cross about it. You know, Paul and I would have been happy for Harry to carry on doing the character for years. Yeah, um, but he he'd had enough of it. Right, yeah, he wanted to kill it off. So, uh, so you kind of did stuff with Jonathan Ross and, and Vic and Bob, and, and then you kind of got into doing your own, your own obviously the Far Show, which is kind of, is an interesting thing for me, because we were doing um, Fist of Fun at the same time as doing the Far Show. In fact, we were starting up almost at exactly the same time. I think you were a little bit ahead of us. It's kind of been uh, Fist of Fun, which is now out on DVD. You can get that from <laughs> Go Fast. I don't know if they ever brought uh, the Far Show out. I don't think it was successful enough. Uh, <laughs> the thing is, Fist of Fun, they, you know, they, they wouldn't bring it out because it was, they said it was too funny. So we let the other show the other shows up. Uh, so, um, but it was, I remember actually our producer sitting in an, uh, an office as we were writing the first series of Fist of Fun and coming up quite gleefully, going, "The Fast Show did uh, their first show today, and the whole no one in the audience laughed at anything. Everyone just stared at them, and it was terrible." <laughs> and she was very delighted because she thought that meant you were going to fail and we were going to yeah. succeed. It didn't work out that way. Do you, do you, rem- do you remember? Do you remember the, the that? The well, do you remember recording? Story? Yeah, the the, the um, recording the first series. Nobody knew what the show was. Nobody knew any of us. Um, well, I mean, Paul had done some stuff with Harry yeah. by that point, but you know, they didn't know the characters. Mm. I mean, the thing about doing catchphrase comedy, the the the, the important thing to remember is that a catchphrase in itself is not funny. It's just some words. Yeah. Uh, but but this weird thing happens if you just keep repeating it. <laughs> People start to find it funny, and it's a very very odd phenomenon. There's nothing inherently funny about saying "suit you, sir." A lot of people say this. There is nothing <laughs> still isn't <laughs> funny about saying it. But if you keep saying it, it it's like a sort of Pavlovian thing that you're hitting these triggers, and people wait for it, if and you, you say it. And they really, really laugh. Yeah, if you get the right thing, I think that's, that is true. I, no, I think there's a challenge there. I think you could select any phrase and say, right, we're going to say this enough times that whenever anyone says it in the future, everyone will laugh. Funnily enough. <laughs> Except for that. You picked on the one thing that will work. 
but, but no, no, but yeah, so uh, yeah, I mean, I do remember those early recordings, and, and you know, it's quite funny. I mean, the Ted and Ralph characters, which have become probably the most popular uh, characters off the show, we almost didn't put them in the final when the series went out after doing the edit because we we would show them in to audiences and they wouldn't laugh at all because they'd never seen these characters, but we didn't know what's going on. Um, you could see that they were sort of interested in it on a sort of dramatic level. But, uh, but if you look at the... We didn't tart up the, uh, the studio recordings and they had a load of laughter. And it, actually, if you look at the first series, um, you can hear one person really laughing during the Ted and Ralph sketches, which is Graham Linehan. <laughs> who, 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 wrote the, who wrote the sketches? <laughs> you can hear it at the back. <laughs> <laughs> and there, there did come a point because you know when Paul and I we ended up producing the show we hadn't intended to but you get and so we were writing it we were in it we were producing it so we were involved in every stage of the process and it, and it becomes this you know it, it really takes over your life and you're you're in the final edit and you're arguing over half a second here and half a second there to try and get this thing down to the length of the edit and you lose all kind of perspective and objective views yeah. and we watched one of these it was one of the later Ted and Ralph sketches which is where they're fixing a, ta- a tractor and Ralph accidentally touches Ted's hand yeah. and they both flinch and go very quiet. Uh, and we looked at this sketch and then we looked at each other and we thought, we can't put this in. <laughs> this isn't funny. But we thought, well, we'll, we'll give it a go. Then we put it out and, you know, the rest is his <laughs> Well, I think the interesting about that sketch because it was sort of different in tone than a lot of the other stuff, I, I suppose, in the first Well, it show. wasn't fast for us. Well, it wasn't fast. <laughs> it was very slow. Yeah. But it, was, but it sort of stands out. As, but that, that's a really, it is a really clever thing to have done, even if it was accidentally Well, to, no, I mean, it, you know, it, it, it was thanks to, to Graham Linehan and Arthur Matthews who came up with the character. I mean, we, we, they came in quite late. We'd, been, we'd written most of the stuff for the series. They'd written some other stuff for us. We were in the pub with them, and we said to them, you know, have you got any other ideas? And he said, well, we got this one idea for a sketch, we're not quite sure of it. And they acted it out, two of them, which is why um, Paul's character ended up Irish, because that's how they did it, because they're Irish. Uh, and they kind of acted it out, and we just thought, there's something, you know. Yeah. They did the, the it was the, um, yeah, you know, it was the first sketch we put out, I think, where they had this long conversation about mending a fence or something, and then uh, Ralph says, do you... Do you like Tina Turner? Well, you about that stuff. It's just, you know, she's doing a concert and I just wondered. And they acted this out in the pub and we just thought, I don't know why, but there's something very, very funny and touching about it. And that's why we went with it. But I mean, I think what, what people picked up on it is that there is an emotional core to it. And we tried to do that in all the fast show stuff. You couldn't do it. It suit you. You couldn't really go beyond the fact that they're just two people in a shop who are rude to people. They have, you can't imagine them outside the shop. They have no life, no emotion. And that's why those sketches become the hardest ones to write, because you've got nothing except just the lines. Mm. Whereas Ted and Ralph, you've got a whole world and all those emotions. And, you know, I just played it as I was as, a, as an awkward teenager going to discos trying to chat up girls and being hopeless at it. Yeah. Um, and that's what it is. It's about our, our awkwardness that we all feel. And we, we, tried, we tried as far as possible through the Fast Show to make it like that. We, I'm not a big fan of kind of just cruel, nasty comedy, which is, look at these gits, let's laugh at them and give them a good kicking. We, we, even a character like Colin Hunt, who is an odious office bore, I wanted to make him real and see the kind of sadness behind that yeah. facade. And I think that's one of the reasons why the Fast Show is still quite fondly remembered. 
I think, but it also, seriously, looking back at Fist of Fun, which we've had to do to bring them out, and the session the seconds are as a Fist of Fun where we had to change everything, the BBC made us change stuff, but you kind of can really see that, that, that we're, set, we're stuck in an old-fashioned genre almost of trying to do long sketches and different, different sketches every week, and it seems enormously old-fashioned because the fashion show actually did completely change the landscape and, and everyone then started doing you know, this, you know, catchphrase-based, very quick kind of sketches, not always to massive success, as to be said. But, you know, so you did sort of redefine the whole genre, and it's interesting to me to see that. I mean, when you could re- really see the flaws in Fist of Fun in the second series. <laughs> it is coming out on DVD. Uh, don't, <laughs> don't, don't still buy it. Uh, but uh, it's, there's still some good things in there, but not... But it is, you know, it was, it was amazing to see it, I think, like, 15 years on and see how much the landscape had changed. Do you think that's... Do you think it's... I mean, do you feel proud that that's changed, that, 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 you've, that you've changed? Um, so somebody just blew their nose, because those eyes, <laughs> which is, you know, maybe may an indication of the question. They're in tears, of the, the, the emotional. Well, <laughs> 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 just go... <laughs> well, I don't know, I mean, it, it, you know, it's interesting, because often if a show is, is you know, is doing something, we weren't doing anything that new, because we were all fans of Dick Emery, who... Yeah came on every week and did the same characters and the same catchphrases but whereas he would have maybe four sketches in, a, in an episode we, we had like 30 yeah um, that was the only difference really Was and that purely came out of the fact that we were a little bit bored and tired of that whole the sort of two Ronnie style long setup for a sketch which is you've got to establish who all these people are and where they are and what they're doing and blah de blah de blah and you're trying to work out oh that's oh I get it that's going to be the joke at the end and you're usually there a minute before the sketch ends we sort of said well it's not about the punchline it's not where you build up to it's about wanting to see those same characters each week see what see what they're doing and you know some characters like Jesse's diets or whatever it is just his, his catchphrase and nothing else <laughs> And, you know, again, why is that funny, you know? This, <laughs> this week, I've been mostly eating yoghurt. <laughs> it's very funny, I don't know why. But, uh, yeah. but again, Ted and Ralph, they didn't really have a catchphrase, but people wanted to see him. But, yeah, it was, it was the speed of it that, that, that I suppose, it was it changed anything. But, but, again, if you do something like that, you then get someone else making a sketch show, and a lot of the times they'll say, well, we can't do it like that because it's going to be too much like the fast show. I guess. So it's like, we've got to do something completely different. I, I mean, there were a couple of shows that were pretty similar, but yeah. only in the way that we... If you watch Fist of Fun again, which I don't think you will, you'll be... <laughs> Is it on oh, DVD? Why, why didn't we make that shorter? Why didn't we do that great? This thing, you know, this, you look at the driving instructor sketch and it'll be like 10 minutes long. You think, we could have just broken that into 10 bits and put it in every week and it would have been that much think, better. That's, that's another thing we hit on. If we did have a big, long sketch... Yeah. You, again, you just put in 30 seconds a week yeah, because yeah. of oh, these quick, fast sketches. No, you're just watching one long sketch <laughs> for six weeks. Why is Swiss Tony spelt T-O-N-I? Why? You have to ask Vic Reeves that because he first appeared on um, Smell of Reason Mortimer. Right. They had written a sketch for their, their two uh, northerners who wear bras. <laughs> or don't wear bras. Who knows whether they really are wearing bras. But are obsessed that everyone's looking at their bras. The bra men. <laughs> as they're called. And they'd written this sketch where they go to buy a car. And in those days, uh, Vic used to write, write uh, they used to write these amazing scripts. But reading most TV scripts is very dull, but their scripts were fantastically entertaining. Huge, great, thick things. 
incredibly long descriptions of the action that was taking place, and also these amazing drawings. I mean, Vic, if you've seen any of his paintings and his books, he does these fantastic paintings and drawings. Yeah. And he would draw all the characters, and he, and, he would, and he would illustrate all this stuff. Often, it'd get into big problems, because he would sort of draw a character, and he would put in very pedantic kind of measurements, like the quiff. And <laughs> the quiff, and he would say... 4.7 inches. <laughs> and he would do that just because he, he was an idiot. Um, but then I, as the producer, would have to deal with all these people in the wardrobe department and the props department saying, look, I've been trying to make this, uh, this quiff. I can get it to three inches, but I'm really... I said, just look. He doesn't know what he... He made up that measurement. Just make a stupid quiff. But he'd drawn this fantastic drawing of this character, Swiss Tony, right. with an eye. He's his car salesman. And he looks pretty well at how Swiss Tony looks. There were a few changes. I think he had plastic bags tied over his feet instead of shoes. <laughs> we changed that a bit. Um, but we did the sketch, uh, and it was just, I was just there to, to feed lines to them, really. Um, but afterwards, Bob got obsessed with it, because as we were doing it, I, we were mucking about off camera, and Bob was coming. Bob is the most filthy man you will ever meet. He's got an extraordinarily grubby brain and, and lifestyle. And he... And he, it's him that writes all the really, really filthy Swiss Tony stuff. I, you know, I can't come up with it myself. It's beyond me. But, um... And so, you know, when we weren't filming, he was, he was doing all these lights. Oh, making... You know... Driving a caravan is very much... I can't do it. The problem is, because I'm not Bob, I can't do it off the cuff. But he was coming, and he kept saying, oh, you must do this character again. And I kept saying to Paul, we'll do this character. He said, oh, car salesman's a bit old-fashioned, don't do that. Not very funny. Eventually, third series, I persuaded Paul to let me have a go at it. And the rest is his <laughs> Good if it was literally history, all of these things. Yes. In five hundred years' time, we'll open the history book and it'll just yes. all be about the it various fashion characters. <laughs> 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 nothing about David Cameron or Tony Blair starting wars. I hope it that will happen. It could happen. It could happen. I sometimes think, you know, when you know archaeologists, they try and recreate some society, some ancient. 4,000 BC society, from a few fragments of pottery yeah. and some scraps of poetry. And from that, they're trying to extrapolate out this whole civilization. <laughs> but, you know, you, you don't know how representative these things have survived. No. It's entirely random what makes it through. So, yes, it if, could be. If the only scripts, scripts make it through. The only artifact <laughs> that survives from the last century is one of his scripts. They'd be saying, it's interesting that their quiffs were 4.7 inches long. <laughs> Now, I'm asking all of my guests this question, uh, that I forgot to ask Jonathan Russett. Uh, have you ever tried to suck your own cock? <laughs> no. No? That's oh, interesting. Oh. <laughs> Setbacks, uh, 69% of men have attempted to find they have. have. According, Why would they want according to? to my question, well, that's something to do, isn't it? I mean, not, I, as, a, as a young man, I think maybe most of them probably do. Probably, no, I, 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 I have done, I have never once in my life thought, well, I'd be really good to suck. Well, <laughs> <laughs> good, it's just an interesting thing to know. I mean, God, you get other people to do that for you. <laughs> well, I'm not when I was 14, I couldn't. Pretty much. It's been quite difficult. I bet you, 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 you could have done it if you hung out in the right part. <laughs> Actually, I did once have, uh, when I was uh, hitchhiking around Europe, I did what I had when I was hitchhiking around Europe and um, I was meant to meet my friend Jeff Quigley at, uh, at uh, Calais. 
Uh, but uh, his, his ferry, we used to go in boats to the continent, uh, got uh, delayed and uh, we didn't meet up. And then we had this kind of rough plan, we'd meet up in Nice if anything had gone wrong for some reason. And so I'd gone to this youth club, the youth hostel in Nice and I was trying to get to the station and then I was at a roundabout and this car pulled up and I thought, oh, maybe this man will help me. And he, and he said, he, um, and I was like an 18-year-old virgin, very naive country boy having grown up, grown up in uh, Somerset. And then he just pointed at my cock and then pointed his mouth. <laughs> and I was a bit scared and, and ran well, away. But that was, my first, that was my first That was my first opportunity. I mean, you know, if I'd known, I'd waited 18 years, at least he was... Instead you said to him, no, it's all right, I'll do it myself. <laughs> <laughs> I can just get the ending. It's fine. I mean, it's, not, it's, quite, it's quite nice of him in a way. He wasn't like pointing at his own cock and then pointing at my mouth. It was, it was quite, you know, for a, for a predatory homosexual man in a car, he was at least quite a sensitive guy. I mean, it's quite nice. I wish I could meet him again. Now, and just thank him. I mean, that was, I didn't want to do it, but it was kind of you to, to think that that way. Oh, fair enough. I'll take you there anyway. I'm not going to be able to uh, tweet about this podcast or publicise it because I'm now a respected children's <laughs> Yeah, no, you better not. I have to be very careful what I say. You do. You do. Well, talking of that, very good, good segue away from I'm just asking everyone that. You didn't have to yeah, answer. No. Um, it was polite. You know. It was polite. It was polite to us. My mother told me, "Do if a man asks me if you ever tried to suck your own cock, at least answer him honestly." Uh, he definitely. Do you think Jonathan Ross has ever tried to suck his own cock? I imagine his is huge. Yeah, that's what I imagine too. I imagine. So is it the fact that you know your penis is too small to get into your mouth that has made you not? No, not I'm not want to very flexible. I've yeah. got a very straight and stiff yeah. back. Even so, that's what I say. Uh, so you have moved into. I've got you wrote. You wrote to what you were writing quite full on before you were writing the the children's books that you do right now. You were writing yes. quite full on graphically unpleasant uh, sort of yeah, murder thrillers things. Yeah, like. I wrote four very horrible books in the early nineties. So adult uh, crime books, yeah, where people do appalling things. So that's worse than just you know self filling. Well, no, self-filling. it's the one thing I, you know. It's the one thing that, you know I can say. This is you know it's like. You know, if you're in a royal family, yeah. you're brought up to behave in a certain way and be a member of royalty. When I was a kid, I never expected I would grow up to be a children's writer. When I was a teenager, when I was in a band, it was, you know, it was sex and drugs and rock and roll. And that's what you do. And, you know, and I wrote these horrible books. And never expecting that one day I'd have to go out and be an ambassador for children's books. And <laughs> go into schools where you're very heavily vetted. Um, but so the one thing I can say is, look, well, I mean, I did write these books before... You know, I have a, a history, Your Honor. <laughs> I'd like these books to be taken into consideration. But yes, I did write these quite nasty books. Mm. But then Roald Dahl wrote very sexually explicit and unpleasant books as well as... Uh... Yeah, actually, you know, um, I was... Uh, uh, I don't know if... You, you must... You probably know who Anthony... Do you know how Anthony Horowitz is? People in the audience? He wrote the Alex Ryder kids' books. Mm. But he also does a huge amount of TV. Yeah. Things like Midsummer Murders and uh, Touch of Frost... Not is not touch of Foil's War. Ah, yes, that's my fault. And so we've had quite a similar, um, you know, working life. But he started writing kids' books many, many years ago. I don't know whether you might not be able to use this bit. (laughs) (laughs) But he said when he first did a tour of schools, he found himself following in the footsteps of Roald Dahl, who had been seemed to have gone to a lot of the same schools that he was going into. 
And, and, and Anthony said, every time he turned up at school, the headmaster would take him to one side and say, oh, Mr. Horowitz, great, you can come to our school uh, and talk to John, but you're not going to be like Roald Dahl, are you? Because <laughs> <laughs> apparently he was appalling. Really? I mean, he notoriously hated children anyway, but he would go into these schools and he was rude and he would make inappropriate comments about little girls' knickers. And, uh, and he was quite... The kids probably loved it. Yeah. But these teachers would go, oh, my God. And now these days, you'd be arrested. But those days, you could do what you like. Well, so as long as you hate kids, it's all right. I think it's if you like them too much that you're really in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I really fucking hate you. That's okay. That's fine. Please come into our school. Uh, but uh, but you have me. So was the were the, the young James Bond books the first move into writing? Yeah, yeah. I was I was approached completely out of the blue by, in fact, my ex editor who I'd worked with on the adult books. Um, she was working for the Ian Fleming Estate, and they were looking for a writer to do these young Bond books. She knew I was a huge James Bond fan. She knew I had three boys, um, and. She thought my writing style would work for children. Right. <laughs> uh, and they gave me the job, which was, which was fantastic. You know, to actually write a real James Bond book is, is just so exciting for someone who grew up in the 60s like me. A, James Bond was the biggest thing in the world. To sit down and write the words, the name's Bond, James Bond, is just... I mean, I just thought this is something. You had to do more than that, right? No, that wasn't... <laughs> no, that's what, <laughs> that's what the first book was. <laughs> But no, yeah, but you know, you're writing a real James Bond book about James Bond, yeah. you know, and I, I got sort of privileged access to the world of James Bond and Ian Fleming's family, and it was just the most amazing thing to do. Did you have any reservations about taking that on? Because that, that oft, often, I mean, it is quite, it's a little bit different than writing a, a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. No, I'm going to write the next thing of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which I would say is quite a big step I know, to take. I mean, we see, so. when, they, when they came to me and presented the idea, I just thought, wow, that'd be brilliant fun. And I sort of quite quickly got an idea of how the book would work, and I thought, my kids would love this. Uh, I thought, yeah, fantastic. And I wrote this book. And it was only when I'd finished it, because it wasn't announced till after I'd finished it in case they didn't like it, in which case it, it would, no one would have ever, ever heard about it. Once they were happy with it and they made the announcement, it was at that point I suddenly thought, oh, my God, I've written a James Bond book. <laughs> this is quite a big thing to take on, and people are going to have very strong ideas about it. And they did. I mean, yeah, the, the, the internet sites went bonkers. Who is this English comedian writing these... Bloody, we don't want Harry Potter-style James Bond with him. You know, I'll have a glass of milkshake and not stirred. <laughs> and he's homeworking late. They were incensed. And I would have been the same if I'd heard Richard Herring. <laughs> he's writing some James Bond books. <laughs> Fuck off. I would have been exactly the same. But luckily, uh, you know, and at that point I thought, oh, Christ, this could go very badly wrong. But luckily when the book came out, the, the fans did like it because they could see that... The, you know, I came from a point of view of being a massive Ian Fleming fan, and it was, you know, it was a homage to Fleming. And they, I, I won them round, and they, 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 the fans do like the books. I've had an idea for James Bond, really old James Bond, right? It's him, it's him like in just a nursing home, and it just is the stuff he's doing. He goes, the name's... Oh. <laughs> I mean, Sting, if you want to write them, go ahead. You're not very good at coming up with commercial ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going, trying to go to the toilet, that would be one yeah, of the books. Yeah, a lot of people are really going to read that. Well, you know, just they could flirt a bit with the, the, you know, the nurses and stuff. I haven't thought it all the way through, no, just yeah. thought... 
you know, because you've, you know, you've done five of the young ones, and then he, he grows up, doesn't he? Then he grows up, he can't do it, and then the, the problem you've made there is they grow up. Then Ian Fleming's covered the next bit. Well, I know. What I'm saying is there's... It was maybe one, James Bond in the afterlife. One of the tricky things I was faced with, because James, Ian Fleming wrote, all you know, over the course of 12, 13 years, he wrote the James Bond books, and he tried to keep James Bond at the same age, roughly 35, right. over the course of 15 years, which means his backstory keeps sliding all over the place. So when I was faced with the, idea, the task of kind of working out what happened when and how old he was, a lot of things made no sense at all. So right. I had to kind of fudge quite a bit. Yeah. Bloody Ian Fleming, eh? Well, he had no idea. You know, he was making up as he went along. He had no <laughs> idea. He thought this might, might work. You know, he wrote the first one. It was popular. He wrote some more. He had no idea that, that 60 years later, James Bond would still be the kind of one of the best-known fictional characters in the world. And, you know, these films are still making vast amounts of money. People are doing, you know, do university courses studying James Bond. And he, had, he had no idea of that. And, you know, he would write a book and forget about it. And the facts don't tally up from one book no. to another. I mean, it's all over the place. And he had no idea there'd be the internet and people would be pouring over this stuff and <laughs> saying, well, this happened here and studying and going back and studying the manuscripts. He was just having a laugh. Did you go on internet forums and, and pretend to be one of these? I read somewhere that you were going on and joining in the conversations under Yeah, I called myself Sylvia Tench, <laughs> who, is the, who is the girl in the first Bond film. Oh, right. The first girl that he um, enjoys. Right. He comes back to the hotel room and she's standing there wearing just his shirt. Right. Very, very yes, alluring well. scene. <laughs> and she turned up in the second film as well. Mm. The same character. So I was Sylvia Tench, and I still am. I can still go on there. Do you? <laughs> it's good. I don't, I don't think I've ever... I've never, I think if I've ever gone on, I've always been myself, but it's quite a nice idea of going on and, going on and, <laughs> and joining it. Do you, do you just criticise yourself, or did you stick well, up I'd for yourself? Well, I get involved in conversation with people, you know. Uh, and the, I mean, the great thing was, uh, when, it, when it was first announced... James Bond appeals to uh, the male collector instinct. There are people out there who, if it's James Bond, they've got to have it. Yeah. They'll have J- all the films on original VHS, and then the redesigned VHSs, and then the DVD, yeah. and the Blu-ray, and they'll have everything, and they'll have every book. And it's fantastic. Men and boys love that. They like to see a shelf. Look at that. That's the entire James Bond film set, and that's it in DVD. And so they would say... I am appalled by this idea of this idiot writing these James Bond books. I will, of course, buy them <laughs> so that I've got the full set on my shelves. I thought, I don't care. You don't have to read them, just buy them. That's yeah. fine with me. You can buy, them, buy one set just to burn and rip up <laughs> and jump up and down, but then I'll have one good set as well. Well, that's good, Ian. That's a good, good thing. And now you're writing uh, books about uh, zombies. Yeah. Um, just like, uh, you, uh, you were at a school or something. I've got this from the paper today, I think. All right. A, yes. child, asked you, a child said to you, I don't mean to be rude. But don't you think you could have done more with your life than writing about zombies? <laughs> I do. Which is a good I, question. It is a fantastic. I do a lot of schools visits, and, and that's the best question I've ever yeah. been asked. It was last year, and and I, I you know, he said, "You can have done more with your life than writing stories about zombies." And I stopped, and I thought, "Oh, he's right, isn't he?" <laughs> <laughs> I was sort of taken aback. I thought, "Yeah, I mean, what a waste of a life." <laughs> Uh, and I thought, no, I've enjoyed, but I've had a fantastic life as a writer. And I have. I've had a. I've really enjoyed everything I've done, and I've loved writing books. I've loved making TV, and you know, being able to be your own boss, right? But and, you know, I still get to travel around the world because the books are published everywhere. And 
And, it, and, I, and, I, and I sort of rallied and I thought, well, I'll try and fight my cause here. I don't think I won him over. No. But, I, you know, it's a fantastic question if you're ever at a literary event. You go to the Hay Festival, whoever it is, you can rephrase it. You know, Hilary Mantel. Hilary, don't, I don't mean to be rude. But don't you think you could have more with your life than write stories about some dead bloke who was around in Henry VIII's time? <laughs> Five years or so I should be working on it. And yes, writing, writing is a complete waste of one's life. <laughs> she said, I've had a number 62 hit in the... Pre- <laughs> Fuck you. I can see your knickers. I, so I, <laughs> I remember when I, was, when I was a kid, and I was a young teenager, and I loved reading. I was a very kind of bookish boy. Um, I read this interview with Steve McQueen. <laughs> yes. And, you know, at the time this was, you know... Steve McQueen with his motorbike. And he said, I've never read a book in my life. <laughs> and I thought, oh, God, that's such a shame. You know, poor Steve McQueen. What a waste of his life. He's never read a book. And then I thought, this is Steve McQueen. <laughs> He's done everything that we read about in books. He's actually gone out there and done it. Who does he want to waste his time reading books for? <laughs> my uh, friend Al's daughter, who's about 10 now, I think, I remember perhaps a bit older than that, um, I'm writing a column in the Metro at the moment every week, and she went, who would want to read about just stuff he's doing? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go, hmm. Everything we do is based on self-confidence and self-belief. If you let that slip for a moment, everything you do in your life becomes dust. Hmm. And yeah, anyway, as a writer, that you know, you, you've got to have, you've got to really think very highly of yourself and just have that confidence to say, no, someone will want to read this book. So is it just me, though? Do I, is it only me, I was discussing earlier, the fact that I can remember these arguments I had when I was eight years old with people that I still remember. Do you remember anything like that from when you were eight? Nothing. Or have you let those things go? My long-term memory is shot to is pieces. I remember nothing. Do you think that's weird that I still... That no, a lot of people still do. Brewing but these things obviously rankle. They do. You well, especially when I'm right. I like to be right. Well, you were right. Yeah. Do you think I was right about the little. one when I was... They're definitely about that. Yeah. But what about the one about me being faster than my friend and that would mean I would die first? <laughs> and well, that's, that's, that's a scientific... You know, there's a long discussion. Surely, I mean, I'd live longer with the fat reserves. It wouldn't, I mean, I'd be hungry, but I would... <laughs> surely... I yeah, just hate the idea that Phil Fry might be right. He said he was we, probably a lot fitter than you. We had a bet for 10p so about So he could it. chase a pig down. Well, I, it wasn't about, there wasn't any, it, it wasn't about that. It wasn't, it was just about the... <laughs> well, you were just... <laughs> and we bet each other 10p and I think I won the bet and he never coughed up the 10p and that's what that You can really. only win the bet by actually surviving him on the <laughs> <laughs> island. We could do it now. For 10p, it's worth it. I suppose one of us could eat the other one. But then that's, uh, or just well, ourselves. Actually, he'd live a lot and you play, you're, a, you're a big quizzer. I've been on the. Uh, yeah, I've this been is on Monday, Twitter with Monday your, night. It's my to be quiz quizzing. night. I should be there. I'm, I'm hopefully going to get. Uh, if we if, if we go on long enough, which we seem to be doing, we've done a long time actually. And we want to. Yeah, long. we don't know. I want that. That's up for the people listening, turning off the podcast at home, to decide. And the people. So there is a lot of people asleep. But I think they may be. They may download <laughs> it, Richard, but do they listen? Felicity's actually Felicity has sent along some people from the from the dream school <laughs> to just go to sleep during this. They've heard Charlie Hickson's on. Uh, <laughs> send people to sleep. No, we no. I think we I think we're nearly done. It's been quite. You know, I've, I've been a bit of a fanboy and just asked you loads of uh, comedy questions, which hopefully is okay. But um, you're not very. Are we going on to the politics bit? Now? <laughs> yeah, we're, 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 
Do you think Colin Hunt is the same as the opposite? Do you think Ricky Gervais copied you and did Colin Hunt? The totally, office? totally ripped yeah. us off. But we did it more realistically. <laughs> <laughs> no, you see, when I, the funny thing was... <laughs> it's different and funny enough is the catchphrase. You, know, you can't even do the catchphrase. <laughs> I don't want to let you. I don't want to let you out on catchphrase no, no. comedy. You do it. You do it two times, then you slightly change it around a bit, okay. <laughs> and then you bring it in for the big payoff. Cool. No, funnily enough. <laughs> see, yes. uh, we would we've been rehearsing Colin Hunt in the rehearsal rooms as you do without makeup or wigs or anything, and um, the first day on set when we're actually there in front of the audience, the first time I turn up with the full wig and costume, and I walked on set, and the whole of the rest of the Fast Show team, you could see their faces drop. <laughs> okay. well, what are you doing, Charlie? We thought you were just going to come on as yourself. Why are you dressed in that ridiculous clownish outfit? I said, no, no, it's important for the character. You know, it helps me. There. And, you know, but maybe they were right. Maybe he didn't need all those accoutrements. Because, mm. uh, you know, Ricky Gervais, as I say, he did it enormously realistic and you know it still is I think one of the funniest top five funniest series ever made I think but uh, in fact, I had Fist been thinking I had been <laughs> the top three I had been thinking of doing a, a sort of spin-off Colin Hunt sitcom right. where in the first episode he's told he's got terminal cancer <laughs> and then it's him trying to joke his way through it <laughs> That man over there doesn't like it. I say, there's a man over there going, no, that, that can't happen. But you know, I bet you see Ricky Gervais' bit is to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the horrible thing is, wouldn't it have been horrible if you rewrite history? If we had done an off, a whole sitcom, a Colin Hunt-based, office-based sitcom, and Ricky Gervais had seen it and said, you know, I was going to do a series set in office, I don't think I will now because it's going to look too much like and he never did it. Yeah. Wouldn't that have been awful? Well, I mean, it would have been a shame we lost the office, but think of all the crimes you would have prevented after that. So, uh, <laughs> sometimes you have to travel back in time and kill Hitler. I'm not, I'm not saying Ricky Gervais is... that what he's done yet is as bad as Hitler, but, you know, Ricky Gervais, we can't judge it because Ricky Gervais isn't yet dead, so we're, when, when he's dead, we'll then compare the crimes. I mean, at the moment, definitely. Hitler is, you know. If I had to choose who was the worst person out of the two at the moment, almost. I mean, I have to think about it a bit, but it's, I, I think almost certainly Hitler. I mean, you have to balance up the good and the bad. So the office does help uh, Ricky Gervais, not, not Hitler. Um, good. Um, so, look, I think we can. I think, well, you know, I think it's been, very, it's been very. I thought this might be an interesting one. I think it's been very interesting. It's a buck, but funny <laughs> enough. Well, I've, I've had a lovely you time. You had a nice time. You you're flicking through this, but you I'm don't just have to ask I'm me just any checking. More I just wanted to check you and see if there's anything. I know, it's, it, I'm pretty good, aren't I? <laughs> pretty good at reading stuff. Well, you stayed on Blake. This is a plus for me. <laughs> Best time ever. But like, and this is like an hour and 20 minutes. God. I'm, I'm really tired. I was doing the Hammers of the Apollo last night. <laughs> <laughs> I did the House of Apollo, I did eight minutes of stand-up, I was on first and it went pretty well. Did you, did you see it? Yeah. And then we came on and we did the girl who smiled a spam from Fist of Fun for the first time in 20, in 70 years. That didn't really work. <laughs> didn't really work, did it? No. So it was, you kind of had the kind of high, because I don't get to perform in the House of Apollo very much. You know, only in charity gigs. And the charity is Richard, give Richard Herring a chance to perform. <laughs> they pretend it's for a cause. They go, I feel a bit sorry for Richard Herring, it didn't quite work out. 
Let's do that in two eight minutes. Uh, and then we did the Ghost Month. Didn't, 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 I think, what do you think went wrong with the Ghost Month? They just didn't get... It just wasn't the right place. It wasn't the right place, was it just a sketch? It wasn't, no, no. exactly. People weren't expecting People it. People weren't expecting a sketch. Do you think they thought it was serious to begin with, and then because that's what we were going for? It was a bit weird. You're all right. Fuck off. They're really <laughs> Fucking hell. All right. Lay off. We gave it. It was for charity. <laughs> Didn't quite work, but it was nice to have the old Rich Changers fan team back together. <laughs> me, 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 Sally Phillips, and Kevin Eldon, the actor Kevin Eldon, uh, was, was uh, playing Stuart Lee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if you have to choose between him and Hitler, that's much easier. So, uh, <laughs> I think we'll move on to the competition. We're going to give some, because we'll see, uh, you, we're going to do a quiz show. Yeah, we're going to find out if you've won your quiz, if people have won that your quiz without you, hopefully. Right. Hopefully during this, and that might be one of the questions. Uh, this is what you're going to win. You can win Ted and Ralph. We were talking about it the whole, I, I, might, I might actually just nick that. That's the actual whole 15 minute is it? film. Yeah. Plus all, all the sketches. Yeah, yeah, that might go missing. It's a really I'm, good I'm, film, I'm, huh? I might have that. Bellamy's people. Is there another series of Bellamy's people in the pipeline? No. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's Bellamy's people, the unsuccessful comedy that we did after everything else. Well, <laughs> compared to anything I've done, it's still way more successful. So there you go. That's, it's, all, it's all comparative. Uh, the audiobook of Where Did It Go Right, which is currently used by Ballast as from Go Fast to Stripe to balance stuff, things that when they send me. When they send me boxes that don't have enough DVDs to fill the boxes. <laughs> I've got about 20 of these. Cost five pounds, I think, at Go Fast to Stripe now, if you want to get that. There's loads of good things at Go Fast to Stripe. And Andrew Collins' book, Where to Go Right. <laughs> hey, we're talking about Fist of Fun, and I've got a Fist of Fun as well. Oh. Fist of Fun, uh, first series of Fist of What's Fun. That? The DVD. DVD. Oh, the, mo- the most exciting thing is inside the book. I've got the, the, we just brought, brought out the book Talking Cock, uh, with, which we bought from Go Fast Drive in a similar way to Fist of Fun, except we've printed up 3,000 of these and we sold 50 so far. So, <laughs> uh, so it'd be nice if you, wanted, if you want to read the book Talking Cock, uh, my first book. Uh, go to, you can only get it from Go Fast Drive. But the exciting things, this is unexciting. My backstage access all areas passed from the uh, House of Apollo last night, signed by me. That is wow. literally. And excitingly, uh, the Charlie. Uh, I've forgotten his name. Brooker. Charlie. I don't want to call him Charlie Hickson because that would be a mistake. It doesn't have it written on here. So Charlie Brooker. I knew. Uh, I was playing a clever, a clever joke. Uh, Charlie Brooker's on next week. Uh, that's sold out, that one. <laughs> I don't know why I'm looking at you. I don't know why I'm looking at you, Charlie, because I'm in all of these. It's more of a comment on me. I'm in all of them. If, you know, you know, between us, between us, Richard, <laughs> uh, we've got, I think, 140,000 followers on Twitter. Yeah. We've both of us been tweeting for years. <laughs> and I was saying, right, let's see how effective Twitter is. Because I looked at the, uh, you could look, and, and there was a seating plan. What seats are still available? <laughs> and I looked at that, and I thought, well, there's quite a few seats still available. Right. I'll tweet about this. And I'd check, after I'd done this tweeting, what difference it made. And then you were tweeting, and then we've got a lot of people tweeting. Yeah. Made not, not a single yeah. extra I was, sale. I was looking this afternoon... The number actually went up. Uh, the number, the number of tickets left when it, it was on two hundred and sixty-five, and then it went up back up to two hundred and seventy. So I don't know if they just found four more of someone. Oh no! I thought thing. it was Charlie Brooker this week. I mean, I'll give those back. But anyway, you win two tickets to see Charlie Brooker next week. That's a pretty good prize. And of course, 
Uh, the sponsor of this podcast, you may have Foster's sponsoring you for loads of money. I've got uh, Elliot Line, who gives me nothing but some copies of his very clever puzzle compendium, Volume 1. I think, I think that, I think he should have left the Volume 1 off. And just, if, there was, if there was a second volume, he could have called it Volume 2. Uh, which he's given me no details. It's about, like Mensa quality puzzles. He doesn't pay me for this. He's given me no details of where you can get this. But I thought this week... You know, if you can't work out where to get it, you're probably not going to be able to do the puzzles anyway. So the first, the first puzzle is if you can find out how to buy it, you're probably already a genius. So that's, that might get him a few sales. But he does just that. He just came to a gig and gave me a plastic bag with ten of these in it. So I thought, I'll give these away. And he's our main sponsor. I'm going to thank him for the credits. Uh, I haven't tried to do any of them yet, but... Uh, yeah, that looks complicated, doesn't it? Looks, so you can, you can win all of these things, and uh, you're all signed. It's going to be signed. Oh, no. I thought you were going to sign the other lines. That would make that very valuable. <laughs> a, it's in, a, it's a book of this that is not in Elliot Lines' house. <laughs> so anyway, what I'm going to do uh, to you can win this. We're going to ask you. So we're going to make a series of statements that are either true or false. And um, you have to decide if they're true or false. If you get it right, you can stay, you stay in. If you get it wrong, you have to uh, sit down. So we need to all stand up first of all. We need the lights up a little bit. There's loads of there's loads more people than I thought, which is kind of worse actually than anything. It did sound like there was no one in, and there's fucking hundreds of them. Uh, so if you, we're going to make some statements. If you think they're true, put your hands on your head. If you think they're false, put your hands on your bottom. If you get it wrong, self-policing. Anyone cheating, do uh, punch them in the face. You have to sit down, because these are proper good prizes. Uh, I've, um, my, first, uh, my first true or false fact is, during the uh, recording, I was just out in the interval, I checked... Um, the BBC news site, and there's been quite a few deaths recently, I don't know, quite shocking deaths. Uh, probably the most shocking of all uh, is during the interval, I discovered that today, two hours ago, uh, the newsreader Kenneth Kendall died. Is that true? That's a bit of a downer for the first one. But so is that true? Or if you think that's true, put your hands on your head. If you think it's false, put your hands on your bottom. The seed of all falsehood. Um, that is false, I do that every week. So uh, that's uh, one week it'll come true, though. So sit down if you said true. I saw a few of you. Have you got uh, a statement of truth or falsehood, Charlie? Well, after we had uh, decorated Stephen Yu's house, yeah. and we bought it, and Paul and I made enough money to move on, and the house was subsequently bought by the Mighty Bush. Oh, is that true or false? Good, good one. Good, that's a good thing of truth. I, I don't know the answer to that from my... From my research, is the answer? What's the answer? It's bollocks. It's bollocks. It's false. We got rid of loads. Well done. Do you know who didn't buy it? Well, the other guy that we bought it with is still there. Oh, is he still there? Huh? <laughs> He's called Daryl. <laughs> I've he got works quite... in the city. Have you? Yeah, that's good. Funnily enough, I've got quite a lot of uh, Froom-based facts. I looked up. Go on. I thought we'd talk about Froom for a while. It didn't turn out. Froom comes from the old English word "fraw," double F R A W, meaning dung pile. Is that true or false? <laughs> Froom comes from the old English word fraud, meaning dung pile. That is false. It comes from the old English word fraud, meaning uh, fair or brisk. Which word? The river Froom, of course you would know. Have you got another one? I'll, I'll think of one. Okay, should I do, do, you want, do you want to do another one while we're waiting? Yes, yeah. 
Pee Wee Herman, the disgraced ex-children's US TV presenter, now lives in Froome. Is that true? <laughs> is that true or false? And uh, man, if this is true, you fucking won the lot, man. He's already sit. He's sat down already. <laughs> He's not even waiting for the answer. You can just change your mind. <laughs> it is false, uh, but uh, Pee Wee Ellis, the US composer and member of the James Brown band, does. Oh, Got a similar name. Oh, here's one then. The most popular breakfast cereal in the UK is Weetabix. True or false? True or false? Get to fuck. Don't <laughs> help. Get, get to fuck a man. A lion, a man. A man shouting lion bar. I'm not sure you really want to listen to his judge. And it's not quite who wants to be a millionaire coughing. I'm like, what the fuck? It's a lion bar. It's the most popular cereal. And that doesn't seem to have swung anyone. What's the answer? It's true. It's true. Wow. It and may not be true, but Charlie thinks it's true. Yeah. yeah, the company's just been bought by the Chinese. Wow. That's true as well. That's, I wasn't testing them. <laughs> All right, here's another one. Ed Dredd, King of England from 944 to 955, died in Froome 1,003 years before Charlie, Charlie Hickson was born there. Is that true or false? Every element of that has to be true. Approximately 1,003. Oh, man changed his mind when the approximately came in. He thought, that's false. Bad luck, it's true, mate. Should have stuck with, stuck with your first answer. He was born, he died in 955, which if you'd worked it out was 1003, and we can work out how old uh, Charlie Hickson is, isn't it, everyone? I'm 53. <laughs> Let's see if, uh, have, you got, have you got another one? Or should I should have done that as a true or false. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing's come through from the quiz, so... They're either they're, celebrating... They have the, the answers by now. They might do. Richard Franch, the pianist from... Um, uh, whose line is it anyway? Uh, was born in Froome one year after Charlie Hickson was born there. Is that true or false? Couple of trues. Couple of falses. And there's, uh, there's still someone over there saying false. It is true. It is true. So we've got two, two gentlemen left in. They're two chubbier bearded gentlemen. That's not representative... <laughs> necessarily of the kind of people who come one of them doesn't even have a beard and one of them is all that fat so it's not it's you know if you've got a stereotypical idea of the kind of people who come to this podcast you are way off only half of them are bearded they're both above average weight is that true or no uh, yeah, I, 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 I got one. You got one? Go, go for it. I've got another one. This will get him. This will get him. Well, only one. You're going to have to get one of them. The first, the first line of my first published novel, King of the Ants, is Fuck off Nero. Wow, is that true or false? false? Oh. Have you got it for false at the back? Yeah, so that's, this is the decider. This is very exciting. We'll find out who's going to win. What is the answer? The first line of my first published novel, King of the Ants, is... Fuck off, Caesar. Oh! The beard, the beard goes. So you've won, sir. You've got two. I will pass them back. I think it's probably the easiest thing to do. I hope no one steals the, uh, the signed Access All Areas pass for yesterday. If you can travel back in time, you can meet um, Ben Elton backstage. Yeah. What's your name, sir? Dan. Dan. What's, uh, what's your last name? Carpenter. Dan Carpenter. How are you doing, Dan? I don't, I don't know if I... Have you... Don't know if you come, do you come very regularly to the uh, podcast? No, Are you just no, a newcomer, just chanced your way in, won all the stuff? Uh, You're going to yeah. come to see um, 
Charlie Brooker next week? Yeah. Pretty exciting, isn't it? Two tickets. Two tickets, isn't it? Because he's going to be got, just gave him two he tickets. He might not come. He might just chuck him in the bin. <laughs> would you be any more excited about seeing Charlie Hickson or Charlie Brooker, would you say? Charlie Hickson, definitely. Yeah. Well, I'm going to come back to you next week and ask you the same question. <laughs> uh, is that your uh, girlfriend? You... No. Just... No? <laughs> oh, man, I wouldn't say no so hastily. She's... Uh... Are you just friends? Just friends. Oh. Do you want to be more than friends? Because <laughs> this could be that could be the extra prize I could give you at the, the end. At the end of the podcast. But don't question your sexuality. I wasn't questioning it. Don't assume. And don't auction it. Oh, that's fine. Don't, don't, don't auction my sexuality. <laughs> not really. I'm not auctioning your sexuality. I'm just auctioning you. I'm not. I'm not. It's not like I'm going, who wants her to be a lesbian, bisexual, the highest bidder. Mark Zuckerman comes in. What's his name? Zuckerberg. It works better if you know the facts. That's the thing. Jokes always work better. I was hoping we'd get a text. That would have been one of that could have been the last question. But it hasn't come through. So Becky Sunshine has let us down. Um, well, that's fantastic. Thank you very much for coming along. I hope you did. did you enjoy it, everyone? Yeah. It was quite, quite interesting, wasn't it? Did you enjoy it on Thames Valley? Yeah, Thames Valley Polytechnic there in the front row. Yeah, another, per- another person who hasn't come with his girlfriend. Uh, 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 thank you very much for coming. If you want to come along, we've uh, got tickets, not for next week, but then we have a week off, and then uh, it's Nick Frost and David Badil are going to be, and we're two people together on, uh, I think it's the 11th of June, and we just had a text through. This is very exciting. Just This is happening right now. Nine out of ten on Sports Round, a painful four out of ten for true or false. Overall, we came second. Nadia's team won. Bollocks. They lost by one point. And I See, bet you would have been there. You could have made the difference. We always have to beat Nadia's well, team. I can't believe she Bloody wins. Nadia. From Big Brother. Is it Nadia from Big Brother? No, and Nadia Shireen, the children's illustrator. Oh. <laughs> I'm moving slightly higher circles than Nadia. <laughs> you were hoping it was Nadia from Big Brother, weren't you? Yeah. We'll get her on next week. I won't be here. Oh, you won't be here. You won't I'm not having you in. You turned up late. We have sold out. And if you turn up again, I'm going, don't let him in. Old lady. Thames Bank didn't even get his degree. just gave up. You had to be here for the first half. We might cut that bit out. Never know. Don't know if the roll dial bit made it in. If it didn't, bad luck at home. Should have listened. Should have come in. Stop. No. <laughs> I'm sorry, I nearly it's came. I nearly came to a good end. <laughs> I just suddenly got on a roll. Charlie, it's just suddenly I thought, fuck. I might just see how long I can go and see how long people will stay and listen. And just people start drifting out one by one. I think he'll stay though. I think he will just. I think he'll say. So we will wrap it up. Uh, please do uh, listen, tell your friends about this if you've enjoyed it, and please give a massive round of applause to the amazing Charlie Hickson. <laughs> Listening to Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast, starring Richard Herring with special guest today, Charlie Higson. The music was by Pest, they were good. Uh, it's produced by Ben Walker. Lots of thanks as well to Ma- Orange Mark and the British Comedy Guide and everyone at the Leicester Square Theatre. This is a Fuzz and Sky Potato production. Hooray! How'd you like them, Sky Potatoes? <laughs> Hello, I hope you've enjoyed Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast. Rehulestapur! Rehulestapur! 
this is free for you at home and I hope uh, you appreciate that. If you feel like giving something in return, then it would be lovely if you wanted to come along and watch one of the shows. They're selling fast, uh, but there are tickets available for a couple of them. Uh, so go to the Leicester Square Theatre website or you can buy tickets to see me uh, doing Talking Cock, my new show at uh, the Edinburgh Fringe or Richard Herring's Edinburgh Fringe podcast. You can get those at edfringe.com. My book, Talking Cock, has just been brought out by the good people at gofasterstripe.com where you can get lots of my merchandise and Andrew Collins' talking book if you want it. Uh, but uh, we've bought 3,000 copies of Talking Cock. Uh, Chris Evans, not that one's done that, so it'd be lovely if you wanted to go to gofasterstripe.com and buy that or any of the other DVDs. If you like the way this is produced then uh, it's an excellent production. Then why not uh, show your support to the producer, Ben Walker, whose other show, Do the Right Thing, uh, is at uh, the Phoenix on the 29th of May. It's a hard thing to Google because they've chosen the name that's already in the name of something else because they're idiots. So go to wegottickets.com and you can find it. Is that right, Ben? Good. <laughs> so, uh, or just if you can't afford to do any of that, it would be lovely if you just pass the word on to your friends about this podcast. Uh, but uh, it's lovely to do it all for free. It'd be nice to make some money too. Help me, please. I've got a kitchen to pay for. <laughs> now, nah, bye. <laughs>